Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, episode number 29. This is the second time we've done a false start, so I'm just going to be open because these boys are going to shred me for it in a minute, (laughs) so I'm getting in before they even can. But episode number 29, we've been hyping this one for a bit. We have a very special guest with us here, JT, not Adam. The special guest is not Adam. I wasn't going to make the same joke. (laughs) You guys guys missed the joke on the first attempt. I've just got to shred. I've just got to shred myself in this one. Uh, Okay, so James Tenacity Thomason, otherwise known as JT. So I'm going to go through his many accolades and uh, contributions, I would say, to the jiu-jitsu world. (laughs) He's a BJJ black belt under Lachlan Giles out of Absolute MMA St. Kilda. He's a strength and conditioning coach, coach, jiu-jitsu instructor, co-creator of Bulletproof for BJJ, a strength, mobility, and conditioning program specifically for jiu-jitsu, which we've spoken about before in the past. He's an author of the world's first BJJ superhero book, Jugo, He's the creator of, in my opinion, the world's greatest jiu-jitsu card game called Jugo, otherwise known as Jugo Play on Instagram. And he is also a jiu-jitsu rapper. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yes. Doing my homework. Wook Tang. Doing my homework, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So, JT, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's quite the introduction. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, yes, I would say all those things are more or less accurate. That uh-huh. that introduction was like if you were looking at people to interview for a job position and you're going through their CVs and like you're like, this PDF is 12 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of shit to cover. He's, done, to a, be he's done a lot, bro. He's done a lot. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate the introduction. Thank you for having on having me on, gentlemen. I feel honored to be the first guest, obviously. I am more important than uh, Joe Worthington. That Absolutely. is why he will be you well, know, down, mean, the, down the chain. At a later time. Yeah, whenever I mean, we can fit him triple in. Triple digits, I'm talking. <laughs> episode <laughs> 100 plus. Shout out Joe Worthington. We need my, to go through the- you My know, partner in crime, shut up. Once, we, once we've gone all through, you know, good guests in Sydney, then we'll, <laughs> then we'll get away. It's a fault to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, so jumping straight in, bro, uh, you know, uh, for those who don't know, you and I have known each other for years. We, we've we trained together in Brazil, actually, where we first met. And, I mean, we spoke a bit about that on uh, when we were both previously on the Jungle Brothers podcast uh, a few episodes back. So we're not, we don't need to go too much into that because we could spend a three-hour podcast, you and I, just talking shit. Plenty. Uh, so I want to more start with what's been happening now over the last three months in lockdown and since you moved to Sydney, because as Kieran mentioned, you're a black belt under Lachlan Giles out of Melbourne. Uh, but you've recently in the last year moved up to Sydney. Then we had the lockdown, but you know, on the flip side, you've had the opportunity to be physically closer to Joey and do much more work with bulletproof and all those sorts of things. So I just wanted to, to hear a bit more about bulletproof, what you guys have been working on, what you uh, have planned for the future. Definitely. To get all of us strong and mobile. Well, look, uh, the move to Sydney was uh, two or threefold. So last year in uh, Melbourne, shout out Melbourne, thoughts and prayers. 
Victoria. And they actually do know, are they still in lockdown? They are still in lockdown. Well, I mean, well, look, we're, we're only three days out it's of lockdown. Never yeah, like it's just, they're still in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just dancing. Yeah. Do you know, obviously you've Kissing got- in the street. Obviously you've got lots of, uh, you know, friends and connections down there. Do you, I'm a bit removed actually. Do you know, are they going with a similar like, or oh, 70% look, vac- they, double I, I don't or? know the, I don't know exact stats around that. Uh, I don't. I pay attention to the news because it's kind of irrelevant. Um, but the gyms are closed, right? The gyms are closed, which sucks. And it's just difficult. Um, I, I don't know what the path is out there. So, yeah. Uh, look, shout out Melbourne. Thoughts and prayers. You're my fam. Love you guys. Um, but the, the thing is, like, I, I think we are so fortunate right now because it's a classic, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? Like yeah. being in Melbourne in lockdown last year. Because, yeah, you copped the brutal Melbourne lockdown last year. It was about nine year. months. So we like, you know, it was like March to June. We got a little break. And then the government's like, ah, oh, we stuffed it up. Yeah. Hard lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was pretty brutal. That was savage for you guys. Yeah. And so like, you know, my whole life is uh, lifting weights, um, exerting some kind of physical force onto other people, whatever that looks like, <laughs> kicks, punches, chokes, and, you know, just trying to be active. And so much of what was going on there conspired against that. And and that's fine. Like I, I, I stayed productive last year, but for sure I um, – there was like some family things going on. Um, uh, a couple of people passed away last year. I couldn't go to their funeral. Because they were in New South yeah. Wales. And, you know, I'm not going to go super deep on it, but being at someone's funeral via Zoom is mm. rubbish. Like yeah. that's not that's not what we do as humans, you know? Yeah, it'd be a and rather awkward experience man, actually. it's like, just like – anyway, I don't want to go into that, but I just said to my partner, Ola, shout out Ola, my chef, my companion, my uh, – Boss. My muse, my boss, <laughs> my chief, <laughs> salute. Um yeah, like I just said, let, let's move to Sydney because I wanted to be close to my family. And then also I had a chat to Joey and Joey's like, man, do you want to be the head jiu-jitsu instructor at Jungle Brothers? I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, man, that could be cool. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, but then I'm going to have to see you all the time. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> looked, all right. he, just for reference, he looked at Kieran when he said that. Not <laughs> at me. He looked at Kieran. <laughs> I was actually like imagining Joey's face on your face. <laughs> and I was like the feeling of disappointment. I was like, oh, this guy again. Um, but no, in truth, like uh, we knew that even though we've uh, worked on Bulletproof remotely, obviously Joey working with people here in Sydney and me working with people in Melbourne, mm. With our powers combined. Yeah, forces combined with that one. We are Captain Bulletproof. (laughs) So we had, yeah, it was something and I had said I wanted to do a few things. I said, look, I think we could do a good podcast. There's a few other things I want to explore. And so the the, the first part of the year where we didn't have lockdown, um, yeah, we got busy, man. And it's it's been great. And being at Jungle Brothers is great. I've always said it's my favorite gym in all of Australia. So having the opportunity to be there, uh, start doing PT there as well. Um, so awesome. Such a great community. So to connect with that and also just be able to uh, work with Joe, obviously connect with Alliance. You know, you helped me out a lot in, in giving me uh, a coaching job at Alliance and connecting with the team. It was like such a great feel because, you know, we had talked about potentially running a gym together. Yeah. I mean, back when we trained in in Brazil together, like, you know, we've we've trained so much together. You you were my 
strength. And I mean, you were my strength and conditioning coach. And even though now we don't do S and C together, I still think of you as my you know, perpetual strength and conditioning coach. Yes. Yeah, Cause I berate and, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah the Adam white. back straight. Head up, <laughs> deep breath. What are you doing? It's like, bro, I'm rolling. Go away. <laughs> I remember. Uh, yeah. Like, cause I would always say for, obviously for listeners of the bulletproof podcast, they would be well aware of the, the history of you and Joey, but, um, you know, in, in a nutshell, you and Joey are these uh, like doppelgangers who actually didn't know each other but were both in the jiu-jitsu scene and then turns out like you both have, you know, heaps in common and and everything mm. and to the extent that a lot of people by default think you're brothers, right? Yeah. Like you not only do you look similar, you have similar mannerisms. Funny and- story on that. So Paul, so the, the founding jo- fathers of Jungle Brothers are Joe, Paul and Tiora. Paul's mother pulls up. So is this recently? in a car, this is like, uh, it, yeah, like start of the year. Yeah. Pulls up in a car with laundry for, for Paul's kids. Yeah. I'm just at the front of the gym. Hey, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> just like, my, like we, I have a, a, a pretty reasonable beard. Mm. Jo, jo, Joe's beard game, not quite as strong. Yeah. Hey, Joe. <laughs> I, she hadn't seen Joe since he had a kid. Right. Right. <laughs> Waves me in. I'm like, oh, do I burst the bubble? Oh, I didn't get a chance. <laughs> Did She's you like, know it was Paulie's mum at I this just, stage? I, I, no, but I was just like, oh, just whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are. I walk up and she's like, oh, I got some laundry for Paul. Hey. How's your kid, boy or girl? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's, it's a boy. She's like, oh, yeah, cool. And he's like, yeah, take it up to him, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't burst this bubble. Yeah. <laughs> so you're <laughs> telling me. I was too deep. JT, you impersonated Joey Worthington. Well, no, I think I was mistaken for Joey Worthington <laughs> and just didn't want to destroy the illusion because it, it would be hard uh, to explain because she just thought this is Joe and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know who she was. I just yeah. didn't know what was going on. So I just end up with this tray of freaking fresh laundry like, all right, <laughs> have a nice day. She's like, good to see you. <laughs> I was like, nice. Oh, these these so are common good. occurrences. Yeah, yeah. So we mentioned obviously a few times bulletproof for BJJ, you being the co-founder with Joey, Mm. how did bulletproof for BJJ start? So my understanding is it began from yourself approaching Joey for a BJJ fanatics instructional, Uh, something along those lines. No, not exactly. So, I mean, Joey actually, the the absolute origin of it was uh, Joe and Tiora ran a workshop for jiu-jitsu athletes, which was called like, I think get bulletproof for BJJ. Right. And that was like the first thing. And then, you know, many grapplers from all around the place came to Jungle Brothers, which is awesome. And so what he was doing was cultivating this brand of training, which was uh, bulletproof. I had been doing a thing called grapple fitness. That was like essentially very similar, not same, but I had done it with, uh, all the grapplers I'm exposed to in Melbourne. And I had also done it in Brazil. So I got to do work with Adam. I did work with Michael Lange. I did work with Demetrius Souza. Um, I did right. a bit of rehab work with Gabby Garcia. Um, uh, pretty much anyone in the team I was mm. exposed to, they're like, oh, you got something jacked up? Go CJT. Yeah. Like Fabinho Colloy, who just got bronze medal at the Worlds, like very narrowly lost to Gianni Grippo. did in the Nogi, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look – Fabinho Caloi is, is a monster. Absolute beast. Beast. And he's like a slim, trim superhero of a man. Um, I got to work with everybody in the team, which is really fantastic. 
Um, and so I saw benefits to world championship level people. Like my training and methodology worked with them. I'm like, this can work for everyday jujitsu people, right? So I was like, oh, cool. So it really was proof of concept. Like I knew that my training methods were effective for general population because I've been a PT a long time. But having had that exposure to super high level people, like even like Alex Monsalve and Serginio Moraes, like I did rehab work with them, which was great. And so when I came back to Australia, I was like, right, I'm going to dial this thing up. Joey and I had known each other for years. I saw what he was doing. I saw what I was doing. And I thought we'd form a rap group. well no it's like you know classic middle class white boys thing it's just like we would be stronger together Mm. and i thought of it as a collaboration because like the thing we're working on independently could potentially compete but we're friends so i just i just looked at it like i understand joey's strengths i understand my strengths and even though we weren't like best mates we're like good friends I just said to him, hey, man, like, why don't we work on this project together? Because we've kind of been circling each other in a perennial way. Mm. I'd stayed at his place in Bondi, um, the old school place that had the skate ramp in there. It's like super dope place back in the day. <laughs> we'd caught up for meals and coffees and we trained. And, yeah, man, it was just like I felt there was a degree of synergy between us and we could work it out. And I looked at it and Bulletproof as a name is just – rock solid and i and he and i said to him man i'm happy to go with that if you're happy to like share it as a brand and we just cultivated after after you changed the name you kind of like justin timberlake in the social network have you seen that movie where he (laughs) removed the the the, the, from the facebook yeah yeah Yeah. and no get bulletproof for bjj rubbish just call it bulletproof well (laughs) it's one of those things that for me i felt i wanted to remove any friction with us working together Mm. so you know, Joey will always be like, oh, I came up with the idea. It's like, ah. <laughs> pretty sure I orchestrated this whole fucking thing, bro. So, I mean, you can say what you like, backup dancer. Um, but that's the thing, right? Like I had made a decision many years ago that creativity comes from collaboration. And the thing about jiu-jitsu, which is holding jiu-jitsu back, is at its core, jiu-jitsu is exceptionally competitive the thing that's moved jiu-jitsu forward is creativity people inventing new guards people who are inventing new passes looking at positions differently like that is how it's evolved and that's how jiu-jitsu stayed cool whereas like you look at something like judo judo's kind of gone backwards they've removed certain grips they've res- they've made it yeah. more restricted basically so classical japanese jiu-jitsu can win sorry japanese judo can win and that's fine. Fu- like that's fine, but that actually makes it less interesting. Jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is really freaking interesting because it's so different. It's evolving all the time, right? So I made a deal with myself like probably five, six years ago. I'm going to be more creative and less competitive. And I just looked at Joe and I'm like, bro, we could be a cool team. And and really, that's kind of how it started. And we and firmed, I- we filmed our first bit of proper content at the Christmas of 2018. Our website didn't go up till like September of 2019. But I had a connection to Bernardo. I knew Bernardo from training in Brazil, from training with Adam, being at Alliance. And at that time, Fanatics was starting to take off and they didn't really have a lot of fitness products. And I thought we can definitely do something there. And Joey agreed and we went that path. Yeah, awesome. and I think, you know, like you guys working together, it was a bit of a, I see it as a bit of a no-brainer as well because having trained with both of you, right? Like we trained together in Brazil and everything. And the reason I know Joey is because when I moved back to Australia from Brazil, 
you know, you were still in Melbourne and you're the one that introduced me to Joey because you were like, man, if you're not training with me, train with Joey. And so having done, you know, strength and conditioning with both of you, not only do you, of course, have your individual styles because you're two different people, but like, you know, you're like you're specialized in slightly different things. The same way two jujitsu fighters can both be world champions, but, you know, one's better at one thing than the other, you know. Um, you know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Joey's more into sort of uh, all the, the mobility. Movement. You're just catching doing some spinal. You're like, are you popping and locking? Like, yeah, oh, I know he does just, stuff that looks I'm like popping and locking. I'm <laughs> no, like, dude, I can't like, do that. It's, <laughs> it's all good. You two just dancing together. <laughs> Mate, oh. I mean, it's it's pretty funny. Actually, there's a really great Instagram, which is pretty new. It's called Move Boys. Move B- Boys. Yeah, B-O-I-S. And it's, it's making fun of that whole like, you know, if a movement person ca- catches you saying the word flexibility. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what does the research show? <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. just like, it's yeah. just one of these things like, you know, Joey's put in a lot of hard work and, you know, apprenticed under Ido Portal, like did like an internship, which means he paid a lot of money, worked his ass off and got pimped, but learned a lot of good stuff. But, you know, Joey's a smart guy. He, he forms his own conclusions, he, you know, uh, the the Jungle Brothers started that gym and Joe, to his own credit, has worked really hard um, on his knowledge and his coaching ability. And that's the thing I think can be missing. You can have all the qual- uh, qualifications in the world, but if you don't have the ability to relate the information to someone or, or yeah. enable them to take the step to change positively, what are you doing? And, yeah, Joe's, Joe's a great coach. I mean, we coach differently. I mean, it's unfortunate for him. I mean, once a backup dancer, always a backup dancer. Well, I think that I think it's one of those (laughs) things that, like, one of the first ever coaching quotes I had from Joe is, "You don't got this, bro." (laughs) Like mid heavy squat, like front squat, you don't got this, bro. (laughs) I mean, he knows me pretty well. (laughs) Like, I don't. I'll show you. (laughs) Did you Did you get it though? But of course, of course. But I mean, but that's all he ever does is yeah. just try and nitpick me. But that's all right. Like I have enough self belief for the both of us. But it's um, funny, yeah. You guys do have very different coaching styles. Like when when you were teaching uh, at Alliance, and you know, yeah, lots of people thought you guys were brothers. And I would kind of say like, oh well, you know, James is like, like the, I mean, the the <laughs> less friendly version of of Joey. You know, no, and I, I think it's a reflection of our personality. Joe no, I, comes off as like a really nice, friendly, charming, cool guy. He's not. Like, I mean, he to engage with Joe. He, no, he's not. He's a lover guy. But I mean, Joking. Joe is such an and he really knows how to interact with people. He's got great, great, um, great uh, EQ. I mean, I I think I have decent EQ, but I don't care. Mm. The difference yeah. is, I'm not trying to be your friend. If you come to me for advice, I'm going to give it to you straight because I don't want to waste your time. Also, don't want to waste my time. The thing is, I've been in the industry twice as long as Joe. I've been doing this thing, this thing like coaching PT since 2002. It's 20 years. Yeah, it's it's kind of silly, right? Like, I mean, one the the and thing so that's so the thing about that is like. What I've seen is, and what I've done as a mistake is, I have been really nice to people, thinking this will make them like buy into what I'm saying more. No, it makes them buy into their own bullshit more. So then, when I'm like, "No, nah, that's completely wrong. You're, you're an idiot. Um, let's change your frame of reference." I mean, that's not the best way to sell an idea. But if you're not interested in what I have to say, f- 
fuck off. I don't care. Don't change. Don't be different. Don't evolve. That's fine. Stay the same. See in 20 years when you still suck. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that bothered because life's really short. If you don't have enough self-interest to improve yourself, mate, go talk to someone who gives yeah. a fuck. It's not me. I really <laughs> want to help you. Right? Only insofar that you are invested. If I see that you're fully invested in, in doing everything you can, even if you don't know what you're doing, credit to you. Mm. I, I will and, help you. And you know, that's the what I've really enjoyed about the time we trained together. Like, you know, all we would do strength and conditioning in the in the park in Brazil. Yeah. In in one particular um you know, program that we did or camp we did was, was Ibirapuera. Yeah, Ibirapuera. Is this Sorry, the Park. infamous band sessions? Well, yeah, like we used to do brutal. I mean, maybe JT was like, dude, they were pretty soft. But for me, they were brutal. And it yeah, was preparing, I was like a blue belt preparing for to fight these selectives that were going to pay for my trip to the US to compete, which I did win. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, it was just, there was none of that sort of oh come on bro like you can do it it was more what and what worked for me it was like dude like just stop being such a fucking bitch like <laughs> it. there was times there was one bit in particular i remember and at this stage i had been not held at blue belt but like i'd been at blue belt for a long time and i remember it was whatever thing we were doing and i was doing push-ups or something and i remember <laughs> james said to me he was like man if you want your fucking purple belt you will do five more push-ups something like that and i was just like oh like i remember and even just other stuff as well like uh you know james helped me with uh, a huge amount of rehab post-surgery on my knees and one thing that you know uh i don't believe from a, a qualification point of view you have like the degree for it but you know i've said this i've said this to you off off air that james is my go-to person when i'm not like booking a physio, the uh, amount of knowledge that you have with anatomy and everything is crazy. And I remember I was recovering from knee surgery and as a result, my ITB and my hamstring were just like, they were wrecked, they were out of control. And so James was doing, was living with me at this time in our little like four square meter apartment. Sleeping on flow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was giving me like deep tissue massages, right? To the point where like it was just that approach where he's like man i'm just ramming this down your throat because this is what you need and i don't care and i remember i was almost crying like i could not oh i'm not a doctor yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you doctor hi, hi, these, these, and hi, all Dr. Nick. hi everybody yeah. like you know i couldn't have been closer to crying without crying but i mean you know, the result was... You're a bitch. Yeah. No, 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 no. I would look... It's, you know, look, but I mean, you saw the results, right? Like I went on to recover really well. Like at this stage, until we did this work together, I was like a year still struggling with this post-surgery rehab. And yes. then you just like rammed it down my throat. And it's difficult, right? Because there is a gap between physio and 100, like healthy. Mm. So like, don't get me wrong. This is... And this is... I, I live and breathe via the advice of a good physiotherapist right you get that acute injury you need that help but after about 12 weeks and you're out of the acute phase and let's say your ligaments um and your meniscus like if it's your knee like all your structural things are there like you you, you have structural integrity of the joint but you're really sore and you're really inflamed and you're all these things the body does all these natural things to just protect you 
but that's not going to enable you to bloody win the selectives or do whatever you're going to do. So you've got to go through an absolute world of pain to restore really good function. But you still have to get to healthy before you go to strong, mm. athletic, champion. The problem is, being humans that we are, we want to skip steps. We want to go from ah, uh, kind of semi-fucked up to champion, and you can't. And if you if you try and take that jump, then the chance of re-injury is like super high because you compensate because of like lack of ability. So I, look, for me, the thing is like, I knew you didn't have another option. So I was like, what's he going to do? <laughs> you're kind of hostage to my approach like, i have my victim you're like so i live here too you're like where, where am i going <laughs> so for someone that's not maybe necessarily recovering from an acute injury say someone is at the healthy would you see a program like a strength conditioning and mobility program being that catalyst toward going from good to better essentially good to yeah. great yeah I, I i well i think you've got to go from good to Better mm. and then better to like very good mm. before you, we go to greatness. Yeah. But <laughs> I, it's just your aspirational mindset, Kieran. Yeah, yes, I'm saying. How do I go from good to greatness, <laughs> champion? Um, yeah, sure. I, I think one of the best things I have learned, and this is from a very good strength conditioning coach. Uh, I'll I'll misappropriate the quote. It, it's reasonably famous, which is you need to add range before you add load. So as much as you can load range, right? And there's different research around this. All you move boys out there, <laughs> don't get upset with me. But essentially, if you don't have full range of motion, like a healthy range of motion, that means you don't have full control of your joint. In jujitsu, the, the, the gentle art of bending joints the wrong way, mm. someone's going to force you there. It, it'll happen in a roll. Rolls are so chaotic. So it's like if you don't have the control your own control over your body and someone takes control chance of injury is super high so i always say that in that restorative phase when you're still in the recovery phase or say you're just coming up on healthy you need to have a look at your range of motion because there's heaps of stuff that we do day to day sitting in these chairs sitting in the car you know being on our phones all the nonsense we do day to day also has a negative effect on our bodies Jiu-jitsu itself has its cost and affects our bodies in certain ways. What's really important for people to know is how to get right. Like what are the, the two or three key things I can do every day to help counteract all this stuff I'm doing to my body? And you may not even be aware of it and that's where it's good to seek help. And, you know, a physio is not necessarily the person to see about that. Some physios are strength conditioning coaches as well, you know, like – man they can give you that advice but then for the best part they're not that's when you do need to go seek out a coach who can give you feedback about your posture can say hey do this do that yeah you know and or you can you can reach out to us because we're very accessible and we're happy to give you feedback around those things at bulletproof yeah 100 percent. and just as a, a bit of a shameless plug uh from coming from a background of like bro lifting like five by five bodybuilding bench press and curls and nothing but Going from that with a decent fitness base, I would say, from a military background yep. to jujitsu, the one thing that I felt I was missing is not necessarily raw power in a linear fashion, but like you were mentioning, that strength in different ranges, the the strength in areas that may not necessarily be covered in a traditional lifting program. So one thing I would say to those out there that are doing maybe three strength sessions a week or even two, and it is more traditional 
bro lifting, you may not be moving in the direction you, you think you are. Yeah, yeah, well, I think it's just not considered because mm. you don't, you're all good till you're not. Exactly. You don't know you don't have that range until someone forces you there and you, ah, yeah. just, you, you tap off. Yeah. You're not even being submitted. You're being tapped off a lack of being able to move your body, right? Yeah. So, it, yeah. So um, moving on from strength and conditioning and going a bit more into jujitsu, uh, you know, I know because I've known you for a long time that you did other martial arts before jujitsu, uh, like taekwondo, but what was the, like, was there an event or what was the change of mind that made you go from a young, inspiring ballerina <laughs> to a martial artist? I don't know if I was an inspiring ballerina. I might have been an aspiring Aspire, ballerina. Aspiring, <laughs> that guy's an inspiration. You see that little fat six-year-old? My God. I'm inspired. Man, if TikTok was around I back would, in the yeah. day, oh, would have been me, man, in that blue leotard, my jiffy zone. God damn, shaking my fat little booty. <laughs> no, look, I think my mum was just looking for a daycare alternative, to be honest. Like, she could drop me and my sister there and then go shopping. Like, boom. That's win, cheap. Win. Drop us off at the local church. Yeah, but I'm, but, uh, but all jokes aside, um, I'm, like, ballerinas are no joke, bro. No, like, that's no, 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 incredibly no. difficult. Yeah, I mean, it, it helped me a lot in terms of flexibility and body awareness. Uh, but it didn't really make me much more athletic. You know, I was a chubby yeah. kid, wasn't fit. And then my mom was like, oh, you know what would be great for a fat little unfit kid? Gymnastics. Which is incredibly difficult as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I was the reason my gymnastics team's lost. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I could do like rolls and car wheels and stuff. It's like, hang from this bar. <laughs> no, no, you have to do things now. I can't hang mine. Like freaking Cartman in a leotard. So it's like, man, to be honest, it was... It wasn't a good time for me because I got bullied too. Right. But so this was these were more activities your mom and dad just put you into. Yeah, my mom didn't want me to play contact sports. Like I played soccer when I was quite young, and because I was like really unfit and chubby, I was the goalie because I just couldn't <laughs> run. Couldn't run. <laughs> Goldberg, out. Goldberg from Mighty Ducks. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, except more wheezy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like Lil Wayne wheezy. I mean like. <sighs> <sighs> But like all these formative things, like me being bullied really, even though it did a lot of negative things to my self-esteem, it made me exceptionally determined because I was like, there's got to be a way. It's got to be a way. And then, yeah, it just hit a critical point where I just said, I just was getting beat up, like not every day, but like on a very regular basis and left out and stuff. And I just, I just wanted to change it somehow. And um, I had seen that there was people running around in white pajamas in my school hall, like right. after school, like around like 5 p.m. And it turned out to be Taekwondo. Yep. And I just said to my mom, please, can I go do this? Because she knew how badly I was getting picked on. So she said, all right, as long as you do your homework. And I was like, super nerd. I was like, homework, rah, 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 done. Let's go to training. How, how old were you at this I stage? I was 10 and a half-ish. Uh, yeah, about that time. And man, it was just revolutionary because, well, they were like, all right, well, what can you do? And I was like, I don't know. I can do the splits. They're like, really? Mm. I was like, yeah. Boom, boom. Front, middle splits. Like, Which is we, as for we, taekwondo being we can a work kicking with that. martial art. Yeah, <laughs> like, can you do a sit-up? <laughs> <laughs> no. And they were like, we'll all right, we got something to work on here. <laughs> but just that classic, you know, running around the hall, sit-ups, push-ups, 
that really changed my life. But then also sitting in horse stance for, you know, like for those of you who don't know, like horse stance is like a very wide, wide, like double shoulder width wide position to a 90 degree squat and you just stay there and do techniques. Yeah, It's fantastic for building leg strength and, you know, specific endurance in that position. So that was like a really good base for me. And around that same time, my dad was having, I wouldn't say a midlife crisis, but – he bought one or two Porsches, you know. Well, no, 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 no. No, he bought like a, a pec deck pull down. Like, oh, did he? Yeah, nice. he, he bought a full kit. He had squat rack on the back veranda. That's a like crisis. Easy like curl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was running like 10Ks a day. I couldn't keep up with him on my BMX. My mum would be like, go on, get out there. I'd like do one lap of our block. All right, Dad. And he was just <laughs> powering off like every morning, getting up, running, lifting weights. He was doing protein shakes with like freaking brewer's yeast. So my father's a vegetarian, right? So he would get like skim milk powder. So he he would do a tiny bit of dairy and very occasionally like uh, seafood, but no eggs, no anything. Like water, brewer's yeast, for those of you who don't know, is 50% protein. Damn. But is it, it really? tastes like sour dirt. Mm. You know, Like just get salty like put salt on dirty coins and suck those. They, like that's what brewer's yeast tastes like. They except use, gritty. Yummy. They <laughs> use disgusting. They use a lot of brewer's yeast now. I know this, you know, because of like having Atlas and all these mums groups and whatever. Brewer's yeast, they put it in all those like like cookies that are supposed to improve lactation for for the mum and stuff right. while they're breastfeeding. Yeah, but right. he, okay. you know, but like they're just like delicious cookies. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Mate, don't get it twisted, bro. Like he used to call it tiger's milk. He'd yes. blend it up after a workout. And I'd be Thanks like, your man. all right. And he would get a heaped like tablespoon of like, he'd worked it out to be, you know, whatever it was, 30 grams. So that's 15 grams of protein in there. And it would go from looking like a nice milkshake to just being like, like oh, horrible. Damn. But, you know, he was he was an animal for it. My dad's a madman. Like you think I'm crazy? Man, I'm, I'm 20% of the person my father is in terms of just crazy eccentricness. And nice. observing what he did, finding martial arts, I just started like – because he'd be at work all the time, I would just start playing around on the weights on the back veranda. And one time he came home and kind of caught me out. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, no, nothing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just bored kid. And he said, all right, okay. He's like, well, you shouldn't do this. And I was like, no, nah, show me, show me. Like, I want to I wanna do something. And he just showed me a couple of different moves, which were like nothing. They were like squat with a, you know, just the bar. Like, here's a push-up, here's a, like yeah, nothing. Yeah. And he's like, just don't put any weight until you can do like a hundred. He's like, there's no way this kid's going to get to a hundred. <laughs> and just kind of left me he's, to it. He's still working on that one sit up from Taekwondo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then eventually I just got bored and I was like, you know what? This whole squat and a bar thing's bullshit. I'm going to put some weight on this mother. <laughs> so I just started stacking it up and you know, I'm pretty nerdy. So I started hitting him up and being like, have you got any magazines? Mm. Have you got any books? And How yeah. old were you at this point? About 11. Damn. And he gave me, um, like there were, back in the day, it was a magazine called Reps Magazine. Uh, there was also Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, like the OG version. Uh, Professor Ron Laura's The Matrix, which is all about trying to create hypertrophy, um, which is not, it, through hyperplasia is this idea of splitting a, a muscle cell in half and then you've kind of got double the muscle cells and then you make them bigger. 
but it hasn't actually been proven to be done in humans. It has been done in animals, right? But the idea of this program, it's just, it is a shit ton of partials. Like it's right. like quarter rep. Mm. Now two quarters rep, three quarters full rep, it's, one rep. Like it's just like, oh, huge volume. Yeah. But I got really jacked off it. Like I, I, it's my dad, my dad, is just a maniac for details. He made these like flip books of like this many reps and all this stuff. And I started learning exercise programming kind of from my dad. He just yeah, kind right. of left me to it, but I was just like sucking it up as just mm. a nerdy kid. Like, oh, okay. And also I had that bullied kid, you know, it's like, yeah, you know yeah. that. I'll show those motherfuckers. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, I was just like, yeah. kick me on the ground when I'm down, punch me in the nose. I'm going to get so strong. I was looking at these bodybuilding dudes like, yeah, that's going to be me. Wow. And invariably, this actually kicked puberty into gear. I hit puberty when I was about 12. Damn. So I've been this tall since <laughs> I, I went from being the you little fat You beat the shit kid. out of puberty, mate. Bro, I was shaving when I was 12 years old. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've been I've I started been shaving when I was 19. <laughs> Damn. And you, I've you, never shaved. <laughs> <laughs> you still look 19. <laughs> Fuck. I went from being the little kid to being like the big kid with capability. And then and it what, cha changed everything. And from from there, where what what made you go from Taekwondo into Jiu Jitsu? Yeah. Look, probably like I always had the aspiration to try and be the best at something because I sucked so bad as a young kid. And I always thought, oh, if I could be the best in the world, people would give a care about what I do, uh, which is not necessarily true. And I just pushed really hard because I wanted to go to the Olympics for Taekwondo. And that led me to Melbourne and pursuing it full time. Invariably, I wasn't good enough. I didn't make selection and yeah, it kind of broke my heart because I'd been on Taekwondo since I was very young. I was 25 years old and my coach just said to me, mate, you didn't make the Olympics. You're kind of done. Mm. And look, I could have fought back against that, but I just bought in so hard to him and believing him. I was like, all right, well, man, I think I must be done. And I pretty much just never went right. back. Yeah, right. It kind of broke my heart a bit. I had a bit of turmoil and at that time I'd moved to St Kilda and I had seen dudes walking around with geese wrapped up in belts, like red geese, black geese, blue geese. I'm like, what the hell is that? And that's not white. No, that's not. <laughs> you, were, you know, if you were lucky in Taekwondo, like the mad flex is like, once you make black belt, you get to have a black lapel. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Maybe like some kind of colored stripe, some bullshit. Not like these, not like these jujitsu geese that look like a NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> bow, bow, patch, yeah. patch, like just labeled to just, shit house. And yeah, I just eventually walked up and I kind of just went, man, what do you, what do you do? And I, I didn't. But I, it wasn't I, absolute back then, was no, it? No, no, no. This, like, this was Peter DeBean's. Like absolute didn't exist. Yeah, it didn't exist. This back is like then. Peter DeBean and John Will are really credited with being the forefathers of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Australia, but predominantly Victoria. Yeah. But they were the initial guys. They were they went over to back in 88 or 89 to Brazil. Like yeah, I, right. I'm, I'm good friends with Peter DeBean and I've spent a lot of time with him. I've picked his brain and he told me all about how he sees it. And I've also spent a small amount of time with John Will and had a chance to speak with him and got his take on how he uh, pursued it. And if it wasn't for those two guys – we wouldn't have jiu-jitsu the way it is today. Don't get me wrong, there are plenty of um, Brazilian innovators and, and, and people who came over to Australia and, and pushed jiu-jitsu over time, credit to them. Uh, but in terms of my experience, how I started, I started with Peter Debe. And then um, you, I mean, we met each other in Brazil, yes. right? So obviously 
you fell in love with jiu-jitsu enough to to take trips to Brazil? Or yeah, was man, there my another fir- motive to- Yeah, dude, like I just, I had talked to other people and they basically were like, Brazil is the holy land. And at that time, someone had converted a VHS tape, which was like the art suave. It's like the old school thing oh, where yeah. they would yeah. have footage of someone fighting. And they're like, ah, oh, here's the guy and he's like- uh, uh, like Tedder or or Galvalm or whoever, like old school footage at fighting fighting at the um, Tajuka Tennis Club, and then cut to them training, and then now they're surfing, like a lifestyle video, oh, yeah. and then nice. like kind of cool music. Like, well, I mean, that's what it was like back then. Like you talked to Fabio about those days, right? And he'll tell you that. You know, it was. I mean, it's even today. Jiu-Jitsu is a young sport compared to other sports. Sure. But back then, it was even younger. Fabio was like. You know, nowadays you got white belts who train like legitimate professional athletes. Yeah. Whereas back then, even the black belts, he was like, man, we trained like one, maybe two hours a day. Then we went to the beach and we yeah. ate SIE and surfed and hung out. Like yeah. it wasn't a professional sport, but that's all it, I'm not, I don't want to say that's all it took because they still trained no, hard. There was but that's all it took to become a world yeah, champion. Yeah, it, you know? there was less people doing it. Yeah, and so it was less competitive by default, yeah, right? But the guys doing it were pretty hard. Oh, no, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I'm not like saying they was, didn't train. No, hard, no, no. But they didn't. T- I mean, but the way, yeah, white belts now train two, three times a day, every day, and they sure. got like you know privates with other world class black. You know, yeah. man, it's the level now is yeah. a joke. I need like to it, sort my shit out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, look, I well, saw t- it's you've done Monday and Tuesday, and you've done what? Four jujitsu classes and three weightlifting sessions already. Yeah, yeah, weak. Is that all? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Young people today. JT did that before he got here. Oh, well, <laughs> man, look, I get up early. You know, that's me. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm an obsessive person, and jujitsu just changed my mind about my capacity because I just thought I was pretty good, and I clearly just didn't know how to grapple, and it just kicked my ass. And you know, seek adversity is at the heart of what I do, and. And when I had heard that some guys like uh, shout out to Mick Wilson, big, big Mick, he was a black belt. He'd been a black belt for like a couple of years. Then he was my friend. He said, I'm going to Brazil. And there was a couple other guys who were going to go to Brazil. I'd done jujitsu for about a, on about a year. And they said, yeah, we're going to go to the Rio open. Uh, this is back in 2009. I started in March, 2008. And it was like July of yeah, June, July of 2009. And there was like four other guys going and I was like, man, I'm gonna get up on that. Like I've never been to Brazil and I, I was just a savage for it. And I was just training, just training jujitsu as much as I could and doing PT. And I'd come from that Olympic level hustle, which is train morning, rest, train lunch, rest, train night, like six hours a day plus with a very professional mindset of stretching, recovery, pool session, you know, lift your weights, like a very, uh, regimented regimented yeah. approach. So yeah. when I came and dudes were just like, yeah, whatever, I have beers after training. I was like, the yeah. f- what? <laughs> and I had that advantage, man. Like I, I really had a black belt mentality, even though I wasn't very even, yeah. good. And the gym I was at was savage, even though I didn't, but wasn't very technical. I was tough because I get beat down two or three times a day and it just hardened me to – what jiu-jitsu could be. So then when I actually got to be in Rio and um, I trained at Gordo Jiu-Jitsu back then, I got to train at Gracie Baja in Baja, but staying in Baja de Tijuca, which is like little Baja, little river off to the side and seeing some of the guys in poverty there and how hard they go. I was like, I'm not even going hard. These guys are doing 
That's mornings, it. lunches. They're training like three hours at night to the death. And then dude lives in a hut on the mountain. Yeah, it's different level, eh? It's like... And he's wearing the same yeah. gear all day. I mean... Questionably, a question on the hygiene. <laughs> but if you've only got one gi or two gis and you want to train six hours a day, that's what it takes. So it, it elevated my understanding of how much discomfort you could be in, but then also how dedicated you could be. And that just gave me, it just dialed up my passion. Like I'm a passionate person, but when I saw that, I was like, bro, this is what it's about. That you just love something so much that it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. You make this a priority, and I just carried that with me. And you've and yeah, and you've been back what three or four times since, four times, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then the next thing I want to talk about is then obviously your love of of jujitsu manifested into something else, right? Which is one of your newer projects, right? Uh, you started Jugo a little while back, still relatively new, but a little while back, which uh, is a jujitsu based card game. There's been a couple of it, two editions of it now, right? Yep. And then what's coming out later this year is like Kieran said at the start, the first ever jujitsu superhero. Jugo, the power of jujitsu. Right? Correct. So tell us a bit about the 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 card game and the book. Okay, so like the card game was in the back of my head since I was about uh probably a purple belt. Because when I was a kid, I loved Uno. Smashed Uno with my sisters in the car. We're in the back of the old bloody it's 19. Nothing like, like when you're a kid, road trip. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, Atlas for most people know Atlas, my two year old. Like, uh, I don't know if this is, you know, if, if it's mean to have this thought, but I feel like it's kind of like a rite you, of passage. You beat just, your kid at Uno. Well, yeah, like he's, <laughs> you know, you better learn, he's son. Just, exactly. <laughs> these right. are Sao Paulo rules, boy. <laughs> like, he's got to cop that. Draw the 20, look on bitch. his face when he cops that first draw four. Yeah. You know, like when, yeah. or when he's sitting there with Uno, that last card, and you go, whack, Bam. draw four. Like, yeah. I mean, everyone has to experience no, that's that, it, right? Man. You know, there's <laughs> a reality of life. Yeah. <laughs> You got to pay to play, son. <laughs> Your payment is disappointment. <laughs> but, um, so, dad, so Jugo. How, how did you come up with the concept of Jugo? Well, I, I'm obsessed with learning, and I had kind of, I had conceptualized jujitsu. Actually, it's funny because I, full credit to Eddie Bravo, in terms of innovating, I got his book, like the, I think it was the Tenth Planet System, at, at one stage. And at the front of the book, he had mapped out this position, you know, chill dog leads to this and Homer Simpson leads to that and, you know, like meat hook. And I was like, wow, he's <laughs> mapped this out, like terminology to the side. <laughs> he's constructed this whole thing. This leads to this, this leads to that as, as, a, as a mind map or a, a flow. And that influenced the way I thought about jiu-jitsu because to be honest, I, my first two years of jiu-jitsu, I knew like one sweep, I, I kind of knew a little bit of mount control and then like armbar. That's it. And I know even less. I, I, I just, that's all that. And I got really good at that stuff. But I think to myself, man, if I'd learned more jujitsu in those two years, where could I be? Like my game would be so much more evolved. And I thought, you know, for the best part, what puts people off jujitsu is the fact you're getting crushed. Your face is getting crushed. You're getting choked. There's all this primal instinct going on, which is run away. Um, and really, you got to think your way out and that's it's being able to tolerate the crush not react don't push your arm out don't push your neck out 
and then think your way out and then when you get on top, kill them. Yeah. You know, you've got to keep that presence of mind like I'm getting out of this and when I get my spot, you're, you're fucked. dead. Yeah. And if you move your microphone, you're dead. <laughs> and if you touch your drink bottle, you're dead. In fact, you're going to have to work quite hard to stay alive in the next 10 minutes. Um, so that's that's the thing. Like uh, in truth, I I I – I went to uni briefly. I was there for like kind of 18 months, whatever. Uni wasn't the right place for me. I was studying education and how you learn is important. My coach, my first boat coach, Peter Debean, had a teaching style. If you didn't learn the way he taught, then you're an idiot. Yep. And you suck at jujitsu. I was like, mm. dude, what? No, that's your, that's your limitation as a yeah. teacher. As a teacher. Yeah, like 100%. as a coach in PT, I knew that I had to communicate in different ways for different people. So I was like, this isn't the way to learn. So I thought there has to be a way to game of like, cause jujitsu is a game. How could I sequence this? Cause I view jujitsu as sequences. And I thought about, I just want to simulate doing jujitsu theoretically. So starting like you could pull guard or you could do a takedown. So I was like, oh, I'll start there. And I just mapped out these sequences. Anyway, at that time I had an anti jujitsu girlfriend and she was like, what are you doing? That's so nerdy. I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, she's like, who's going to play this game? Anti-jujitsu. Like, I was just like, nerdy jujitsu guys. Like, <laughs> I'm making this for me. Like, I'm making this for my mates who just jones out on jujitsu ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to think about the positions I knew, which wasn't that many, but, and I asked other people like, what, oh, close guard to this and blah, blah, blah. And so I started just drawing lead pencil drawings on like palm cards. Mm. And then I was like, you know, spending all this time with my partner and I said, look, her name's Han was her name is Hannah. She was my girlfriend many years ago. And I said, look, she loved card games, right? She loved gambling. And I was like, <laughs> let me show you if I can teach the game to you, like just humor me. And she's like, all right. And she beat me like four games in a row. Ooh, and I was snap. like, dang. And she's like, I like this game. And, like, and you're like, I'm changing these I'm rules. I'm creator. <laughs> Shit. And, and, but it showed to me that if you understand game mechanics, you can understand jujitsu. You've just got to separate all that emotion and all that like instinctive, like runaway feeling to just actually theoretically put it through and you like put it out there. And I was like, wow, she doesn't know. She actually even didn't like jujitsu, but she liked this game. And I said to myself, there's something in this. Not long after that, we broke up and I had to move out and I, I shelved the game. I just packed it away and I pretty much forgot about it. And then what brought it back to the presence of mind was doing meditation at JB's retreat that had a getaway. I was meditating on the beach, thinking about my life. And I thought, fuck, I haven't done anything. Like I've done heaps of cool stuff. I've traveled. I've had a very privileged life. Mm. But I haven't created anything. Like if I die, there's nothing left. And and I I wasn't satisfied with that. And then a little voice said, You made a game. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I did. I was like, why didn't I pursue that? And it just became like this itch. And I well, and it kind of syncs up with what you said at the start that you kind of made a promise to yourself to be more competitive and less creative. Well, oh, more, sorry, sorry, more creative and less competitive, right? Yeah. It kind of like they kind of those two points of your life seem to have like kind of like synced up together a little bit, right? Less because I, I I looked at the competitive landscape, right, and I saw what it took to be a world champion, and that's pure dedication. That's like you can't do anything else, and. Fortunately or unfortunately, I, I have my first world privilege. I have my education. I have the support of my family. I have all these things which are amazing. And I was trying to think about like how can I help other people 
Like how can I impact culture? Like that's actually my goal. You know, I, I'm a cultural change agent. I want to put a dent in culture. Okay, tell me who is the world champion in 1999? Who is the lightweight world champion? You can't tell me. No way. No one can, right? Unless you were there or you have the deep knowledge. Now I'm a nerd. Yep. I actually chronologically have a, a rough semblance of who were champions in different eras just for my own reference because yeah. I like that. I go deep like that. You know, even four years ago, people forget who was the champ, right? But we put it in our brain like it's so important. But you know what is actually important? Uno. We're still playing Uno to this day. Like who invented <laughs> yeah. it? You yeah. guys don't know. Yeah. I know. It was a barber back in 1935. Like, you know, he just invented the game to teach his kids like colors and numbers. And he wanted to make a game that wasn't associated with gambling. And, you know, like th th that was his intention. And I thought if I could help teach people jujitsu through a game, because gamification is possibly the best way to teach anything. 100%. Maybe that could be cool. And also I used to do graffiti, right? So I was a bit of a rebel, a bit of a vandal, just a over entitled middle-class white boy wanting to be cool. But I had a creative itch and I didn't have an outlet. And yeah, I was like, well, this satisfies that because maybe I can draw the images and, and, and it just got me down this creative path. But at the same time, as I started releasing the first version of the game, I already had a storyline in my head for like some kind of a jujitsu hero. Like Bruce Lee wanted to give the world a Chinese superhero, like a, a superstar, which he did in his short life. He died when he was 32, right? He only made four movies. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, he made many movies as a kid, but as Bruce Lee, the star we know, only four movies officially. Think about that. I thought to myself, I'm not the hero, but I could create a hero. And I, I feel that like jujitsu changed my life in such a positive way. If I could create advocacy for young kids to do jujitsu, like if I'd found jujitsu when I was 10, you know, maybe my life would be totally different. But I found it when I found it. And if I could speak to a young bullied kid and say, hey man, you should try jujitsu, it would change your life. That's what I could do. Whether it's through the game or through the book, it's kind of all come together in that way that I just want to be like the jujitsu advocate. So the, the game, you created the second version of the game, which is when you really started to generate the characters, the storyline, and that developed into a full novel series through yeah. Jugo, The Power of Jiu-Jitsu, and that, that book is coming out this year. So it's all well summarized. Well summarized, Kieran. You 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 pulled it all in so well. <laughs> that was genius. Well done. Well, tell tell us. So I know you're you're a busy man, JT, and because I don't want to keep you too long, because we could talk forever. But I know you've got lots lots of things to do. Just give us a, a a quick. What can people expect from the book? Like you know, what would essentially if I picked up the book and read the little spiel that's on the back of the book, like. What can we expect to to learn about this character, and then you know where, where can, can we, pe where can people find out more yeah, about sure. it and stuff like that? So Jugo is the skinniest, nerdiest, uncoolest kid of all time, and he lives in a small, crappy industrial town called Greystains. Greystains has been built out in this place called the Valley, which used to be a it was a failed gold mining town, and it was really built out of nothing by a, a guy named Nero Caesar Vieira. He's the founder of the town. He built the factory. He built the church. He built the school. He built the town to service his factory. Jugo's father works in the factory. He goes to this school. 
he gets bullied every day of his life. The book opens at the first day of year six. It's Jugo's last year of school. He just hopes it's going to be better. It's going to be different. But invariably, the bully, Marcus Cesar Vieira, the son of Nero, is still there. He's been kept back for a third year. This kid has repeated the sixth grade three times. He's 14 <laughs> years old. He's a freaking man child and he does boxing and he hates Jugo because Jugo is incredibly smart and, and, and Marcus is not. And Marcus punches Jugo in the face like nearly every day. But the thing is Jugo is the smartest kid of all times. We don't know this, but he's there. He has perfect recall. He can never forget anything he has ever learned. But He's awkward. He's socially awkward. He's kind of like, he's very sensitive. He's, he's a ginger. He's the only ginger in the whole town. Not even his older sisters Ooh, are gingers. A, that's a tough break. Mate. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> it's 1991. Like, it's tough, right? It's tough for a ginger in a small town in 1991. And, and basically, he, he's very fortunate unfortunate in a lot of ways he just hides in the library like the bully you know you're never gonna catch a bully in the library it's out terrorizing kids in the playground so that's kind of <laughs> like his safe haven and the librarian uh miss michelle uh actually loosely based on my good friend michelle nicolini oh nice yep uh is you know a brazilian jiu-jitsu champion but it's 1991 no one cares she's moved to this small town and she's the librarian and her husband works in the factory. Basically everyone who lives in the town works, works in, the, in factory. the factory. And she teaches Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the local community college. And – well, not community college, sorry, the um, – like PCYC. Yeah. Variation. And she just has enough and she goes up to Jugo. She's like, you got to pull your head out of these books. you got to learn some Jiu-Jitsu to change your life. And the this book is the story of what that does to Jugo's life. But – there is a, a small change here, which is a slight change of gear. There is another character named Marrow. Marrow is the youngest son of death. Death's name is Mori. Mori in Latin means death. He has a wife. Her name is Mary. They have a whole bunch of kids. They have thousands of kids. And they are all reapers. And they are kind of, reapers are kind of boring. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just there. And they exist in a frequency of light that we can't see. It's called the shadow. And they're floating around us all the time within the world of Jugo. And Marrow doesn't want to be a reaper. His dad's like, what are you talking about? You're a reaper. It's the family business. Yeah, you have no I'm a reaper. Yeah, my Your dad was, was a reaper. reaper. <laughs> Dad's dad was a reaper. Right. And he's like, nah, dad, I like life. Like he just kind of floats around because he's young. He hasn't kind of entered the business. He's just learning. And – he just defies his dad. He's like, no, I don't want to be a reaper. His dad's like, no, nah, mate, you're going to take your exam, which is he has to basically ferry a soul to the other side. You know, we don't get into, you know, what comes after. They're just there. They're like a taxi driver. They show up, you, you die, and they just go, come on, we'll show you to the other side, the next place. We don't get into that. There is a great moment of defiance where Marrow gives life back to somebody he's meant to take it away, take from, the life yeah. away. And therefore, his dad's like, that's it. I'm kicking you out of the family. I'm stripping you of your powers. I never want to see you again. I'm kind of banishing you to earth. So he goes from being this kind of wraith type ghosty character to being solid, no powers, can't float, can't move around, can't transmit, and just stuck in gray stains. 
Ooh, he's going to learn some jujitsu too. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Because Jugo's so sensitive. His skin is sensitive. His eyes are sensitive. His hearing sensitive. Uh, a kind of power that Jugo has is he can see frequencies of light other people cannot see. So he can see marrow. And they happen to bump into each other. And you're going to find out what happens next. And it's going to be it's going yeah. to be exciting to read. I've already heard some initial feedback from a student of mine who who you gave a copy to and I who did. has three kids. And uh, the kids, I know from speaking to him, the kids love it. Uh, he even as an adult loves it. You know, like he's an adult. He was. He even said to me, he goes, oh man, I don't read that much anymore, but I used to read a lot. And he's like, I'm not an author, but I know when a book's well written or when it isn't. And he's like, man, this is really good. The kids love it because he's reading it to his younger kids that uh, aren't old enough to, to read it themselves. And yeah, so from from uh dave right it's got really good feedback i mean i was excited hearing that like (laughs) well i mean there's a much bigger story arc so Mm. originally when i had written the book it was like a hundred twenty thousand words and i took it to an editor i I pitched a few editors and this editor the editor i went with connie she's like uh who are you aiming this for i was like ah like 10 to 12 year olds she's like 10 12 year olds not reading like adults don't read one hundred twenty thousand words like Mm. you got to cut this up so essentially it is two books, even though the first book, The Power of Jiu-Jitsu, stands by itself. If you only read that book, it's enough, you know. But there is a broader story arc that involves all characters from the first book to the second. And there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot more involved. And, you know, it, it, there's other stuff coming. But, I mean, originally when I wrote the book, I wanted to write a comic. I could just see it in my head as a comic. And yeah. when I wrote the text, I was, I was like, oh, look, drawing takes forever. I'll just write the text. I sat down to write like the first issue of the comic and I wrote 25 pages wow. of text. And I was like, dang, it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be so much work now. But it's been great. You know, like it was a big process. It really started in 2019 and then lockdown enabled me to write it and then work through the editing process, which has taken you know, six to eight months. And then- now we're at that point, which is really exciting that all the files are with the bookmaker distributor in the United States. And I'm just waiting for the final e-proofs to say, yes, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then it will be available for pre-sale through book baby. So um, if you're interested in the pre-sale, you're hearing this and you're like, Oh yeah, that sounds cool. It, it, it is a really good gift for um, kids who maybe don't do jujitsu, but you're trying to get them interested or even kids that don't read but are interested in martial arts. It's like kind of double value there. Mm. Um, If you just go to jugoplay.com, you can register your email for the pre-sale. We will be giving some prizes and some giveaways for people who register for the pre-sale. So that will be uh, available on pre-sale in two to three weeks. Awesome. And we'll put a link to your website and all your social media, your personal social media and jugoplay to Instagram in the show description. So if you're listening to this and you want to get that link again, it will be in the show description for you. Awesome. So JT, thanks so much for coming on the show. Very conscious of your time. Appreciate everything that you do for jujitsu. Oh, and mate. I mean, we'll, uh, we might have you on another two or three times before we get to Joey. So, um, you know, at, least. Yeah, at least. At least. So, 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 so you'll be back. No, I, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And I also uh, appreciate the work you guys have done because you guys have 
really well this has been our kind of like the lockdown was the yeah, catalyst for us to do this podcast right our lockdown like, baby yeah <laughs> yeah and, and now we're freaking stuck with it <laughs> <laughs> who knows where it goes guys so thank you for the work you do thanks for having me on thanks jt awesome. thanks for listening